Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Kevin Alleman of System 4, and we're going to be talking about a really sexy subject, office janitorial services and how to grow a business. Is that fair, Kevin? That's fair, Mike. Good. Let me give you a little background on uh, on Kevin. Uh, Kevin began his career at the United States Steel Corporation in 1979 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He served in uh, maintenance and operations, middle management roles within the steel division. He joined the company's chemical division in 1984, where for the next seven years he served as a member of the maintenance operations, sales, and product management roles. In 1986, USS Chemical Division became Archtech Steel Archtech Chemical Corporation. Aristech. Aristech. Wow, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, recognized as an expert in process and product and quality services in '91. Uh, Kevin was named Corporate Manager, ISO, I mean like ISO 9000. ISO 9000. Right. Once upon a time, Sandler had us get ISO 9000 certified in sales and marketing. I know it well. I know it too well, too. Aristec Chemical, let's see, in 1993, you were appointed a plant manager of the acrylic sheet division in Florence, California, Florence, Kentucky. Uh, and as a plant manager, vice president of operations, you led an $80 million capital expansion of the production facility provides significant uh, and strategic growth. He was responsible for leading numerous quality, productivity, process improvement initiatives throughout the company, resulting in cost savings, improvements in process and product control, as well as enhancements to the efficiency uh, of the administration administrative functions. Kevin was promoted to vice president of sales and marketing in, 19, in 2002, and uh, he then successfully completed the two-month advanced management program at Harvard, uh, whereupon his return in June of 2002, he was appointed president of Aristech Acrylics Limited, LLC. In 2003, he came, became executive vice president and chief operating officer during a merger of the company. A couple of years later, in 2004, he left the company during a functional reorganization after 24 and a half years of dedicated service at various executive and management consulting roles. Kevin then became a master franchise with System 4 in April of 2005. As a master franchisee in Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, Dayton, Springfield, Springfield, Ohio, Columbus, Louisville, Lexington, Indianapolis, and South Bend, Kevin continues to grow his master franchise territory as well as actively participating in helping System 4 create their business model and culture. Uh, Kevin has a Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering from Pennsylvania State University and an MBA from the uh, 
University of Pittsburgh. Kevin, that's an ex- a really impressive background. Thanks, Mike. Does it help? Yes, as a matter of fact, it does. What's the most the most helpful part of your background in your, your role as master franchiser? Well, you know, basically I had a corporate situation there. And because I didn't miss a rung on the ladder, as I tell a lot of people, I have a lot of experience in a lot of different departments, a lot of different functions. So when I decided to venture out and start a business on my own, it was very helpful to me to have had all those different work experiences. So basically, I came into becoming a System 4 Master Franchise Owner as a jack-of-all-trades, essentially master of none. Mm. And so it allowed me to be able to function at a pretty high level uh, with everything I do. So when you uh, started the System 4 business about uh, six or seven years ago, you took a really large piece of territory. Uh, Large large is an understatement. It was huge. Um, You know, Coming from Pittsburgh, Pittsburghers are generally not what we'll call risk takers. They're very conservative people, very similar to Cincinnatians. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people who I've are that a lot about Cincinnati that were conservative here. Most people who live in Pittsburgh never leave Pittsburgh. So for me, when I got relocated here to Cincinnati or to Northern Kentucky, it was really supposed to be only for a two-year stint, mm-hmm. and then I was supposed to go back to Pittsburgh and then have higher roles within the corporate structure there in Pittsburgh with Aristec uh, Chemical and Aristec uh, Acrylics. Mm -hmm. Uh, That didn't happen because my career flourished with Aristec Acrylics here in northern Kentucky, and so we just just stayed. Um, So because of my my background being fairly conservative, uh, when I left Aristec Acrylics and needed to find what my next uh, life's work was going to be, I decided to utilize all the experiences that I had. So from an entrepreneurial point of view, I don't really come off as an entrepreneur. I mean, I spent 24 and a half years in a corporate environment, and then I went and did an entrepreneurial activity. Well, the only way that I was successful at that was to be able to pull all these experiences together. Okay, okay. Uh, Your company has now headquarter offices in northern Kentucky. Correct. And where are your other offices? I have an office, a physical office in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and then we also have uh, sort of a quasi-office in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as Indianapolis. We haven't, when I say quasi-office, we have an office, we have an address, we haven't staffed those two cities yet. Uh, That's part of the expansion and growth that we're looking forward to as we continue to uh, evolve the the company going forward. Okay. And uh, in working with a franchise company that's a a little bit different. Some people might not understand the way that works. Uh, to cover the territory, roughly how many franchisees do you have now? Uh, we have in excess of 110 franchise owners at this point in time across uh, all the cities that you mentioned uh, in your introduction. 110, that's mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And then where it even expands from there, you figure that every franchise owner probably has at least two to four people working for them. And in some cases, they even have more. So what happens now is you go from an organization that has roughly 15, 16 full-time employees to 110 franchise owners to probably a company that's actually about 500 people strong. And uh, on your own local master franchise uh, payroll, how many people do you have? Uh, Here in Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, I think it's roughly 63, 64 franchise owners. Right, but on your own... Employees, like oh, my your salespeople, your accountants, your uh, operations people. How many people are on, on that? 
Fifteen. Fifteen. Right. Okay. So we we, we have a company with depth here. Yes, that's correct. One of the ne necessary uh, evils. Uh, tell me about how you plan to grow. Uh, the markets that are outside of uh, Cincinnati or Columbus where you already have a, a presence? Sure, that's a great question. I appreciate you giving us a chance to, to answer that. You know, when I started uh, Cincinnati or the Northern Kentucky office, uh, I was actually the first master franchise owner for System 4. Uh, at that time, System 4 was a new startup franchise. They did have an office in Cleveland, but which they ran as a local franchise, but when you really step back and look at it, it it was uh, the master operation for Cleveland. It was their headquarters. It was their home office. Right. So I became the first master franchise owner outside of the headquarters office in Cleveland to start up the business. So we we were zero when we got started. And how many are there today? Uh, there's, the uh, there's about uh, 25 or 26 master franchise owners across the country right now. So that would cover most of the major metropolitan areas in the United States? Most of your major metro areas. Uh, where we're probably a little bit skinny right now is where maybe the economy has taken over the past few years has taken its toll, and uh, there's just been nobody coming forward with the capital to be able to uh, buy a master territory. For example, Detroit. Yeah, that might be a really tough sell. Tough sell. Yeah. I've heard stories of office buildings being completely vacant out there. Well, the guys from Cleveland actually wanted me to jump across area and take on Detroit, and I told them emphatically no, because I had a plan. Mm -hmm. And the plan was, to answer your question more specifically, the plan was to have northern Kentucky as my hub base mm -hmm. and then have a spoke-and-wheel type of situation where I had Columbus as a satellite office, Indianapolis as a satellite office, Louisville as a satellite office, and then we continue to service markets in Dayton, Springfield, and Lexington. So the satellite offices are essentially no more than two hours from my headquarters, which is logistically achievable possible. On, a, on a daily basis. It's the kind of thing where I can go, do what I need to do, come back home, and sleep in my own bed every night. Sure. I mean, uh, I grew up in New York City, if you can't tell from my accent. lived on Long Island, and it was a uh, two-hour ride, either on the Long Island Railroad or the New York City subway to get to the office in Manhattan, or it was a two-hour car ride. Right. And you couldn't cut it any other way. That's right. Uh, what brought you, Kevin, coming out of a corporate environment, a steel company, an acrylic manufacturing company, to buy a franchise, and, and, and how did you even find System 4? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, whenever I left uh, the company, the original reorganization, um, what a great name! <laughs> I uh, I looked for a C-level position here in Cincinnati, mm -hmm. and what you find out is that Cincinnati doesn't necessarily have what we'll call a lot of C-level positions. Mm -hmm. um, I had a fairly strong C-level position at Aristec Acrylics at the time. So uh, finding uh, a job, an employment opportunity that was going to challenge me and provide the financial wherewithal that I was looking for was not achievable. So we were doing an employment search, and so we searched here. And then we also did the uh, long-distance search where Dad was going to be a commuter uh, father, so to speak. Sure, you look at Chicago. Or Fly out on Sunday, come back on Friday night type of thing. Sure. Um, so that way we could try to achieve that C-level situation. And we worked with some of the major uh, headhunters in the country, uh, specifically some out of New York that are 
you know, fairly international and big. And we had some opportunities, but <clears throat> finally came to the conclusion that uh, it was the best family decision to stay here and to do something right here. So what I decided was is that uh, I didn't want to have to go through a functional reorganization um, in my lifetime ever again. And I decided uh, with the blessings of my wife and the support of my wife to uh, go out and venture out on my own and okay. do something for myself and basically take control of my own destiny, my own future. How did you find the guys at System 4? Well, it comes down to networking. And uh, I had done a lot of networking uh, through my employment search. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, as I, I told a friend of mine the other day who became displaced uh, very recently, I'd send out 20 to 30 emails a night, you know, on my unpaid time, uh, making calls during the day, uh, looking for referrals and people who could connect me with other people. Well, little by little, kind of wound around and uh, had a gentleman who was with the uh, Gehring uh, Center, and he had suggested uh, that I go visit this uh, franchise expo. It was up in the Kenwood area. Okay. And I did, and I walked in, and I looked around at all the different booths and they had and so forth, and nothing really caught my attention except for one booth. And it wasn't so much the business model, but it was a flyer that I picked up. And I picked up this flyer, and I read, Area Developer, Territory Developer. And uh, so I started talking to people, and I said, this is, this is what I'd like to do. This is what I could see myself doing, just not in that particular business model. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, through the networking activity, um, appears these kinds of opportunities started to appear. Okay. So ultimately, I had two or three opportunities in front of me to evaluate. I spent uh, about a five-month period uh, researching uh, these three or four opportunities, plus another five or six that I dug up on my own. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, ultimately decided that the System for a Business model was the one that fit my my background. Uh, I guess the other piece that I'd, I'd, I'd fit into this uh, prior to making the decision to go into franchising was that I also realized that I didn't have the capital requirements to do what I wanted to do that was uh, sort of fitting my background, which was sort of a manufacturing operations type situation. Uh, what you also find here in Cincinnati is that you have to have a pretty tight network in order to uh, obtain or acquire those kinds of uh, businesses. They're, uh, they're, they're sometimes available and sometimes they're invisible. That's right. And we're going to take a short break here, Kevin, and we're going to hear uh, something really unusual. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is play a brand new uh, David Sandler archive piece, which just came out today. And this is David Sandler in 1984 talking to some folks about how our Lifetime President's Club program came into being. My other goal, but this started back in 67, but I just reinforced it in 1984. I wanted to be with, with a group of people like you. Entrepreneurs, accidents, wanted to make money, wanted to make a contribution, wanted to help other people. You know, they said that couldn't be done. You're living proof that that could be done sitting right in this room. You give yourselves a big hand. I wanted to be in a, in a, with an organization that really made a contribution to people. We were cleaning out our closets the other day, 
and we I took down the Tony Robbins $179.50 course that we've never taken the cellophane off of. And Tony Robbins has a $10 million a month budget and a helicopter. But I don't think that helps a lot of people. And so what I found out when I was selling these boxes for that Texas group was that I wanted to service people. I wanted people to get, take, to get advantage of what they were buying. And so I said to them, after I started to figure this thing out, after two or three years, I said, you know, let me give you the box of tapes free. And what I'm really going to sell you is why don't you come and visit me at the Holiday Inn? It happened to be this one. Why don't you come and visit me at the Holiday Inn every other Thursday night for the next year? And let me make sure you're using what I sold you. And they did. And we used to have 250 people up the road here at the Marriott. This place, place couldn't handle it. We used to have 250 people every other Thursday night show up for training. And they brought 25 to 30 of their friends. And 90% of those people joined the President's Club. So you're living proof that this business can, can be multiplied. No questions about that. I thought you folks might enjoy listening to a couple of minutes with Dave Sandler, and we, when we get more of those archived clips, I'll be integrating them here in the show. I wanted to tell you about a little bit of what's coming up next week. There's only a show on Friday, the 27th of April. We're going to have Brian Bielhauer. He is the owner of Decal Impressions. It's a sign company in Cincinnati, and he is also building electric trucks. He rips out the uh, gasoline drivetrains, and he's putting in electrics. On May 3rd, we're going to have Mark Battaglia. He is the uh, CEO of ThinkVine. They're a marketing ROI company, which works with major clients to figure out what their ROI on their marketing spend is. Uh, the next day, on Friday the 4th, we have Peter Wenzel. Peter is the CEO and founder of General Data company. They're a manufacturer of barcode labels, labeling equipment, they sell scanning equipment, he even sells capital equipment accounting. He's got a, a, a really fantastic story. On May 11th, we have Erlen Russell from Tigerstop. He's going to talk about the manufacturing industry. He came out of the lean manufacturing industry. Now he's vice president of sales of, of that company. I think it's May, May 11th. Maybe next guest is, I think it's May 17th is Matt Mountain. He is with a company called NextGen, and his business is all about Salesforce.com. He converts people's data from other CRM systems into Salesforce.com, handles the migration, installations, training, that kind of stuff. And we have a really special guest on May 31st. We have Jody Schmidt-Gosling. She is the Eastern President of Possible Worldwide. That's, if not the largest, one of the largest branding agencies in the world. And she's going to be talking to us about some of the ideas that, that she's had and some of the things that she's done in the in the world of marketing. Speaking of things coming up, there's still time to uh, reserve a seat for our cold call camp here next Wednesday, the 25th. Call Carmen at 513-753-9400, extension 102, and oh, extension 106, and uh, she can reserve a seat for you. Also next week, uh, Amazon is going to start shipping the uh, the new Sandler book, Sandler Success Principles, 11 Insights That Will Change the Way You Think and Sell. 
This book was authored by uh, Bruce Seidman, who is David's stepson, and Dave Matson, who is the CEO of uh, Sandler today. Uh, based on the pre-orders, this book has already achieved fourth place on the Amazon bestseller list. I need everyone listening to call and order about 100 copies, so we hit number one by next next Tuesday. Uh, now we're going to get back to Kevin. I'm going to ask you a question here, Kevin. In in your business of uh, commercial janitorial services, because you don't do residential, do you? Uh, we only do residential whenever the uh, business that we service requests it. So residential is not part of our core competency. Okay. So what are the services uh, in, in general office cleaning that uh, System 4 specializes in? What's your sweet spot, spot in the marketplace? Our sweet spot is, uh, we'll say, small, medium-sized businesses uh, where their square feet, you know, the size of their facility can range anywhere from small little offices, could be 800 square feet and, uh, and up, uh, to uh, 80,000, 100,000, 200,000 square feet uh, locations. Okay. And in, in your world, when you're working with, with these size companies, uh, are you... Are you exclusively looking for clients that want want cleaning five nights a week? Uh, again, that can range anywhere from two times a month to one time a week to five times a week to seven times a week. Basically, we're going to tailor what we do at System 4 to exactly what the customer wants. So you're going to provide the flexibility that clients are looking for in today's marketplace. and I force them into using more cleaning services than they actually need. Absolutely. It's essential that we pay attention to what the customer wants. Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys do special services like carpet cleaning or floor waxing and stripping? Correct. System 4 is a full-service commercial cleaning services provider. So not only doing the routine cleaning in the office environment, but we also do quite a wide scope of special services, such as uh, carpet cleaning, stripping and waxing of vinyl tile floors. Could be machine scrubbing the ceramic tile. Could be initial cleaning um, of offices, what I'll call a spring cleaning type situation. Uh, could also be um, uh, working with um, uh, restroom cleaning, detailed restroom cleaning, uh, maybe picking up from someone else who didn't quite do what they were supposed to do and getting things back to what we'll call normal conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, with all these extra people coming into Cincinnati for the World Choir Games in a few weeks, actually it's a couple of months, uh, and they expect over 200,000 people coming into the city, uh, do you expect to see any spikes in requests for service from restaurants and places like that that are going to they're going to accommodate that many people? Uh, we could. Uh, it, we have not uh, seen a specific spike because of that at this point in time, but uh, certainly we're prepared to uh, handle that if uh, that comes about. Okay. From an operational perspective, once an account signs up with System 4, what happens then? Once an account signs their service agreement, which is a very simple, uh, straightforward, one-page agreement, we don't uh, get heavily into the legalese that a lot of our competition does. The next step is that... So you uh, work on uh, short-term 30-day agreements? That's correct. Over every month? That's correct. Basically, our view is is that if we don't perform, then you can fire us. It's a great way to work. Yeah. So, so the communications vendors work that way. 
So, you know, our uh, the people who we have cleaning, our franchise owners and their employees are highly motivated to provide a high level of service because uh, they know that customer can tell us not to invite us back uh, at a moment's notice. Sure. You came out of an industry with a lot of concern for quality control. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the industry that I was in before, whether it was either steel chemicals or the acrylic sheet industry, we had a lot of specifications. It was Those were very technical activities. So and how do we have quality control in the office janitorial arena? Well, it's a it's a little bit different uh, from the aspect of uh, specifications, um, but we do have a work schedule, and the work schedule must be followed. Uh, again, one of the things that gives us an advantage over our competition is that uh, we will tailor a work schedule to meet specifically what the customer is looking for. We don't try to impose upon them what what we want to do. So, you know, what that means is is that we're going to be very efficient about uh, our process, and uh, our cleaners are going to be able to follow uh, work schedules and checklists that uh, they can figure out exactly what they've done across the course of a day, a week, and then a month in order to ensure that all the customers' uh, requirements are, 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 are satisfied. You know, in addition to that, from a quality control or quality assurance perspective, uh, phone follow-ups as well as on-site inspections. So you sure have to be careful about maintaining quality if you're writing only 30-day contracts. Yeah, you know, when you really get down to it, uh, that's what we are. We are a services provider. So uh, we can't uh, show somebody a or a customer a product and then be enamored by the product and then not have good follow-up and good service. We've got to provide good quality service and customer service. Mm-hmm. We have to be spot on in both of those areas. It's really quite important. Quality is critical ingredient. I I think you you've been involved with the CRM system at System Four. Yeah, very deeply, in fact. Have you been involved in the design or the requirements for the, for the system? Yeah, I'll just put it in perspective. You know, when I started my business up in June of 2005, we worked for about three months where the work schedules and the proposals that we put together were actually done in uh, Word and Excel. We had no CRM system. It was a very rudimentary uh, process, uh, had very limited functionality, but it was just starting to be grown. Because I was the first master and then, again, going back to these pretty vast work experiences that I had throughout my 24-and-a-half-year career, I was able to draw on some, actually some systems background, some experience that I have in the development of these uh, of the CRM system. So, so would you say that the, C- the development of the CRM system was a complex problem? It was an extremely complex problem. Because System 4 didn't have one? Had nothing. Had nothing. Had nothing. And this is a homegrown system. This wasn't where we went out and purchased a CAN program from one of the big uh, supply houses that would provide such software, and then you kind of uh, migrated into what you want it to be. This was start with the foundation and build the entire structure and build the entire program one stick, one brick at a time. So the System 4 have their own programmers, or are they farming that programming uh, bought out? That part is outsourced, but uh, when you really take a look at how that process works, the company who we work with is really an extension of System 4. Uh, I have direct contact with So you talk to the programmers and developers? Yes. So I'm not talking through you know, System 4 LLC, who then goes to the programmers. I've been given and given the ability to talk straight to the programmers, which certainly that 
makes the process more efficient, but also I'm the customer. It makes it makes sure that it's going to come out right. Exactly. We we had a prospective client that I chose not to take on a couple of months ago, who spent over a year and over thirty five thousand dollars with Haven Indian programmers to develop his uh, application for cell phones that didn't work. Try as hard as he could, he couldn't get the program right. In fact, he had to sell part of his company to another company here in Cincinnati to get the local programmers to finish his product. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm not even sure if he's in the marketplace today. Well, I was very fortunate in this regard, just to kind of finish the subject up, is that uh, you know we've had our business now coming up on uh, on uh, seven years. And I was actually, since here in Cincinnati, we were actually the uh, beta site uh, for all of the new uh, things that, that came along. So everything that we were developing, we were actually the beta site here in Cincinnati for those uh, activities before they farmed them out to the other master locations. Okay. Kevin, we're going to take a, a short break here, and we'll be uh, right back. Imagine you just left your prospect's office, and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. Welcome back, uh, Kevin. Uh, so getting the CRM system done right for System 4 has been a project that's been going on for how long? I'd say the the bulk of the development has been for at least five years, maybe even six years. There are still parts and pieces that still need to be put together and enhanced further. Uh, but the, the major parts of the CRM system were put together in the first four to five years. Okay, Kevin, wanted to tell me about uh, any awards that you have uh, won over at System Four. Well, probably the most significant. Mike, recently we were uh, part of the Emerging 30 for the Northern Kentucky Chamber of Commerce. And uh, for the listeners, what that is, is every year Cincinnati, or the uh, Northern Kentucky Chamber of Commerce uh, honors companies that have had uh, at least 15% year-over-year growth for a three-year period running. And this past year we were part of the what they call the Emerging 30. And uh, so that was, a, that was a nice, we'll call a nice little testimony to what we've done and what I'll call a pretty difficult period of time. Keep in mind that's the uh, uh, 2008, 9, and 10 period is when uh, that evaluation uh, occurs. And uh, from uh, from an economy perspective or economic perspective, that was a pretty uh, difficult period of time for for companies. So myself, I feel pretty good about the fact that we were able to grow our organization 15% or more year over year during a pretty difficult period of time. Kevin, what do you think the opportunities in the marketplace and the possibilities are uh, for companies like yours who are in the service industries? Well, I think that they're endless when you really get down to it. It comes down to putting the right people in place, providing the right level of training, the right level of support, 
and going out and contacting customers or prospects about business opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, in our environment today, uh, you know, we are more service oriented than maybe we have been in the past. Where we've been predominantly manufacturing oriented. I mean, take myself as an example. I'm kind of a dinosaur from the manufacturing industry. Uh, Ten years ago, you were in the manufacturing world. That, that's exactly right. Now here I am in the services world. Do you think so, there are people out there right now listening who might be interested in exploring using an outside janitorial service who are probably using their own employees to clean their offices? Absolutely. Why don't you tell uh, the folks what some of the un- unthought-of problems are when companies use their own employees to do the janitorial services in their buildings or plants? I would say the number one issue that uh, most companies don't think about when they're employing their own employees, or maybe I'll I'll digress a little bit and just throw in the word relative. Uh, Here in Cincinnati, uh, because there's a lot of uh, small family businesses, they tend to use a lot of relatives to clean their facility. Uh, What they don't think about, what they fail to think about, is what happens if that employee or that relative gets hurt while they're doing the janitorial activity? You know, and they say, well, how could you possibly injure yourself while you're doing cleaning? Well, you know, we're working with uh, wet floors, and we're so re- have a slip and fall. Have a slip and fall. Uh, we're also working around uh, electrical cords and things like that, so you could trip and fall there too. We're also working in an environment where many of these spaces are um, are cluttered or they're they're tight. The density is very high. So uh, it's, I'm not going to say it's confined space, but it's a difficult space to work in. And then we're reaching. Uh, we're reaching uh, to get vents and blinds and things like that. Well, you know, there probably isn't a person out there that hasn't slipped and fallen on a wet surface. There probably isn't a person out there who hasn't tripped over something that was on the floor. What are the workers' comp implications of using your own employees who may be an accounting clerk to uh, clean a mop floor after five? Well, they're huge because really? uh, you're huge. Tell us about uh, it. Well, a couple things. Number one, uh, typically uh, normal workers' comp uh, programs don't cover employees doing janitorial work on an after-hour situation. And uh, many times companies are not paying uh, these uh, employees through their normal payroll process anyway. So what that means is, technically speaking, they're not covered by the manufacturer. So if these manufacturing employees are paid off the books to do a couple of hours of extra work a day in the janitorial area, they're not covered under the workers' comp as an employee? That's correct. I mean, how do you go back to your workers' comp provider and say, you know, I had an employee who normally runs this machine or normally does this accounting function and they were cleaning the building the way they got hurt is that they were mopping the restroom floor at 7 o'clock at night and they slipped and fell and they broke their leg. Wow. That's a big issue. Really big issue. Right. And, uh, you know, to take that further, uh, not only do you have the workers' comp claim that you have to pay, but then you have the lost productivity because now you have an employee who became injured doing something that they really are not trained to do. Mm. What kind of training does someone need, does someone go through at System 4 to become a cleaner? That's a very extensive training. Uh, we train all of our franchise owners, and if they bring their employees to us, we'll train them in the basic activities of cleaning, whether it's vacuuming, dusting, the trash removal, and servicing the restroom. You say, boy, how hard is it to, to um, clean a toilet, as an example? Sure. Um, I remember you know, 
my daughter was 16 years old, got her first job. I hope she's not listening to this. And she came home from McDonald's that first day, and she said her job was mopping the floor. Mm-hmm. And she showed me a 16-page manual on how they wanted her to mop the floor. Absolutely. There's a right way and a wrong way to, to do every activity in cleaning. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the, the prime example of that is how many times has uh, have you gone in or any of the listeners gone into a restroom and it didn't smell very well. Right. That means it's not being cleaned properly. Mm-hmm. And the implication, uh, the next implication for me is, what's the difference in professional cleaning chemicals and supplies that you guys at System 4 use versus the stuff my wife buys over at Kroger's? Not even close to a similarity. Really? Yeah. Uh, for example, um, if well, let's just use talk about disinfecting, for example. Sure, Lysol. There's Lysol's not even close to being the kind of disinfectant that you need to take care of what we'll call business-type um, uh, bacteria that's in the work environment. I mean, keep in mind in your home, you know, you pretty much know the people who are coming going in your home. Sure. But when you're talking about a business, right. and you're talking about a business that's open to the public, mm-hmm. and you've got people coming from all walks of life into that business environment, we'll say um, grocery store or retail uh, products that are available in the retail market uh, just don't have the um, have the, the the right consistency to be able to take care of these bacteria and these diseases and so forth. We've heard a lot about green cleaning and companies that say you should use a green cleaning set of chemicals. What do you think of that, Kevin? You know, the green cleaning environment for System 4 is uh, something that we don't uh, necessarily promote. We're happy to provide green cleaning products and chemicals and so forth uh, with customers who require that. Most of the customers who require green cleaning are customers who are trying to uh, satisfy a whole point system that they have. You know, their whole building is green. Um, All the products inside the building to make make the building and construct the building were green. And so they need to keep that up uh, as part of uh, their effort to be a green company. You know, we use a number of green products at System 4 in terms of the uh, equipment that we use to to clean. When it comes to the chemicals, the problem with green is that uh, the chemicals aren't quite as uh, good as the regular chemicals. That's exactly right. And so you say, well, the way you make them green is you pull out the things that actually allow surfaces to be clean. And germ-free. And germ-free. Wow, that's a, an interesting problem. Kevin, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a, uh, a short break, and we're going to uh, listen to San Rule number 12. Hi, I'm Chip Reichard with Sandler Training. I'm here to talk to you about Sandler Rule Number 12, Answer Every Question with a Question. Have you ever been on a sales call and a prospect asked you a question and the answer that you gave them had you boxed in? You almost wish you didn't give that answer, but now it's too late. From the time we're children, we're, we're programmed that every time our parents ask us a question, we answer their question. Now we're in sales, I'm on a call, I'm in front of a prospect, the prospect asked me a question, so what do I do? I answer their question. What we find is many times prospects ask us questions that may be a smokescreen question. 
the real question that they want to get at, they're kind of hiding behind that smoked-in question. When we answer that question right out of the gate, we don't get a chance to really understand what the real question is. So what I'm here to talk about is a different approach that we need to be asking ourselves when a prospect asks us a question, do I really understand the underlying intent of that question? And if the answer to that is no, what I need to do is ask a question to the prospect to, to get that understanding on the table. So let me give you an example. You could be on a call, a prospect asks you, well, geez, how much work have you done in our industry? Normal salesperson would answer, well, geez, we've done a lot of work in your industry. In fact, we've done work with such and such and such and such uh, companies, some of the largest in your industry, thinking they did a really good job. But then the prospect may come back and say, well, geez, that's my concern. We were hoping to deal with someone that had new ideas because we don't want to follow the herd. We're looking for a competitive advantage. So if we were able to relive that and do it in a different approach, the salesperson, when asked, how much work have you done in our industry, if he didn't understand the underlying intent, may say, great question, why do you ask? Whereby the prospect may come back and say, well, geez, we're really looking for a competitive advantage. We don't want to follow the herd. I could respond to that question and saying, well, geez, we take each prospect as a unique opportunity. We uncover their unique uh, goals and objectives and their needs, and we build a specific plan for them. I would not be boxed in with that answer, and I would be addressing the real issue. So that's rule number 12, answer every question with a question. This is Mike Roth. I'm back here with uh, Kevin Alleman from System 4, uh, and Kevin has agreed to ask Answer any questions if anyone calls in on 646-595-4916. Kevin, I wanted to ask you a question about how you go to market. How are you going to market today in in Cincinnati and your your other cities, uh, and how well is it working, and how is it different than what System 4 is doing in Cleveland? Well, Mike, that's a a great question. appreciate the uh, the opportunity to answer that. you know, I get a, a lot of people who come and look to buy a franchise from me, and they say, wow, you, you're going to do all those things for me as part of the franchise? Because when they think about franchises, they don't really think about what a franchise company does to support their franchise owners. Mm-hmm. See, in, in my world, I have two customers. I have the customer who we clean, and then I have the franchise owner because they're actually making an investment in the business. So when they come to us, not only are we providing services such as invoicing and cash cash collection and quality assurance as well as training and equipment and so on and so forth, but the most important thing that we're doing for them is we're doing their selling and marketing for them. And so that's how we go to market. When we go to market... That's a a major difference. Most franchisees, new franchisees at other companies, discover that they have to sell their product or service and well, they may might be well trained at delivering it, whether it's making signs, printing, or advertising specialties. It's the selling that's the difficult part. It's one of the biggest failures of uh, business in the uh, United States is the inability to reach out to the market, reach out to customers, and uh, acquire new business. So, why don't you tell the folks in your own words what we've done for you, Sandler, here in the Cincinnati marketplace that's made a difference? Sure. Now we've been at this now for uh, with Sandler for about uh, a year. Uh, started in uh, about this time frame uh, last year, and our focus was to 
start to educate and train both our insights salespeople, telemarketers, as well as our outside salespeople. And one thing about this process, and we're staying true to it, and that is that it is going to be a, a long-term, uh, continuous reinforcement uh, process. So while maybe we haven't seen huge gains immediately like many people would expect to see, what we're starting to see is a nice, gradual, consistent move forward in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing that I think Sandler has given us at System 4 is uh, the structure. We were unstructured before. We did not have a system for selling. Mm-hmm. And now we have a system for selling. So when you, my view is, is that as we start to combine that system for selling with having the right people in place, mm-hmm. the proverbial have the right people on the bus. Right, put the right people <clears throat> into the right boxes on the organization chart. Correct who actually will subscribe to following a system mm-hmm. as opposed to an unstructured approach, then we'll start to see the real gains at that point in time. So we still may be a little bit away from seeing what we'll call enormous gains, but we're starting to see some things. And certainly in the telemarketing area, I'm starting to see some, some nice things in, in that area in terms of setting more meetings up with prospects. Sure. Are there a lot of prospects uh, looking for janitorial services today? The answer is yes, and uh, you know the interesting thing about our business model is that you, you think today with social media and uh, in the internet and so on and so forth, uh, you you think that uh, customers or people who are looking for janitorial services would be heading down the path of those routes. Well, you know we have our tentacles out in some of these areas, but the best way that this business model works is for us to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. And whenever I started up System for I wanted a business where I could go out and reach out to customers as opposed to be inside of a box waiting for somebody to come to me. Well, the passive model is terribly expensive. Yes. I was talking to uh, a fellow uh, last week who's got no salespeople and doesn't even have an inside salesperson. So if you call in and say you want to speak to sales, there's nobody. <laughs> they, they have a computer program. Mm-hmm. Now, they spend $80,000 a month on Google AdWords but they have a service that people are seeking desperately. And there aren't that many competitors. So it's a different world. Yeah, if it works for them, that's great. You know, in our environment, uh, the best way is for us to use our telemarketing process and reach out to prospects. And over time, you know, this business model has been around since the late 70s and the early 80s. Um, Actually, the customers are trained that they're going to get phone calls from commercial cleaning companies on a regular basis. And we so they 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 are reticent to reach out on a we'll say it on a on a, on a large scale basis. They actually were are sitting there waiting for us to call them. Right, right. So when you were telemarketers call, they say I was waiting for you to call. Um, what took you so long? Typically, what happens is is that uh, you know the the pain threshold for cleaning is something that kind of builds up over time. And so it ends up being our telemarketing staff making the call, hitting that prospect that has the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's reaching out to 100% of the available prospects that are out there uh, on a on a on a regular basis. So that way, we have an opportunity to put ourselves in front of them and uh, tell them what System Four can do to solve their problem, solve to take care of their pain. Okay, and. Your outside salespeople visit the prospects, whether they're in Louisville, Lexington, Columbus, Cincinnati. That's correct. 
that you you have people to cover the the entire territory. That's correct. Yeah, my telemarketing staff is in northern Kentucky, all of them, and then the outside salespeople go out and visit the prospects. Good. Before we wrap up, Kevin, are there any other specific thoughts uh, or problems that you overcome came that you'd like to to share with the audience? Well, and I guess in terms of uh, problems, you know, we uh, you know we we struggled in sales for a little bit, and I'm not going to say that we've completely overcome those issues, but I, I think, and and this is something that has certainly been a benefit to working with you know yourself and and Sandler is a sort of a renewed emphasis in how we hire people, mm-hmm. who we bring on board, the quality of the people that we bring on board, the quality of the the people that we put into this process, looking for people who can who can match what we're trying to do. And what I'm seeing is, is that's where we've seen really the biggest benefit over the past, we'll call it uh, six to nine months, is uh, who we bring on board and how we bring them on board. That's great. Well, we have about a minute, a minute or so, and I don't want to get into a subject that we can't finish, but I'll ask you this question because it always comes up. The best source of new leads or referrals from existing customers, especially in your case, happy customers, how do you guys handle that system for? Well, uh, we certainly love referrals and leads. I'll, I'll just try to stay as close to the time here as we can. You know, my, one of my sales reps up in uh, Columbus, we were referred from a customer, an account that we're con- currently cleaning, and it was a small account. It was just one time a week account, mm-hmm. and ended up landing through a referral uh, a very large account just by saying, you know, they're cleaning my office and they're doing a great job. You should talk to System 4. How, and many, how, how many dollars per month was that worth, that referral? Well, that account ended up being six times the size of the smaller account. Six times times 12 months a year? Uh, no, six times on a monthly basis. Oh, wow. Then now times 12. So that's a, a rather big... It was a big leap. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a percentage basis, it was, what, 600 times bigger. Astronomical. Yeah, it's huge. Increases. Right. So it was a nice account. Good, good. So referrals and introductions work. That's good. Next year, Kevin, you're going to have to come to the Sandler Client Conference in Orlando, Florida. It will be in February next year. Someplace I have the dates. So I'll announce them a little bit later. But the hotel was put on the contract about two weeks ago for Sandler Clients. There were two. There'll be two tracks again: a management track and a sales track. And uh, reception we got from the attendees this year was absolutely fantastic. Next year it's going to be an even uh, bigger uh, operation. I think we had a total of about just shy of 700 people there this year. And uh, Orlando is always a good place to go in February. Mickey Mouse is always fun. Right. Hoy, you can go the other way in the Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're both there. It's a great place. Uh, Kevin, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show today, and I invite everyone to uh, listen in next Friday when we're going to have Brian Bielhauser here, and he's going to be talking about decal impressions, and if I'm lucky, I'll get him to talk a little bit about the, uh, the other business that he loves, the electric vehicle business. Have a great week selling next week, folks. This is Mike Roth, Sandler Training any of that made sense for you, give us a call, 513-646-6523. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at mikeroth at rothconsulting.net.
or call Mike at 513-753-9400.